Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Borker. Today, Vivian Garnes, the CEO and co-founder of Upfluence, is back with us. On the last two episodes, we touched upon Upfluence's journey and how influencer marketing can drive e-commerce sales. On today's episode, we're going to talk more about data-driven influencer marketing, which is interesting. But I so the so what I want to do is I want to tie in the what you guys have at Upfluence and what you guys are doing with social commerce. Like, how are you guys empowering social commerce? Like, because obviously we're we're looking at that. We're both agreeing that that's the future. How are you guys playing into that? Yeah, of course. So I think there's a triptych that we really try to uh, align, right? So three pillars, which are the brand CMS, or the brand, sorry, the brand in general, the CMS and the social network, right? Meaning all of them have to be integrated to a degree so that there's a very smooth transition from you know, the order of inventory. And so you know, we, we can really push the, a unified experience to everyone. And so the way we do this is that as I mentioned, we connect to the system of records for a client, preferably their Shopify, WooCommerce, or wherever it is that you know their client information exists. And so when we uh, when they identify influencers inbound, when this influencer will publish content, you know all of this is tied to the same chain, right? So that, that's very much uh, how we like to do it. And then pro, uh, providing to the influencers the right tools to have attributable sales to close the loop essentially. So you know the coupon codes, the track links. Of course, you can't embed links on Instagram, so it's going to be the, the coupon codes. Uh, of course, you have fantastic click-through rates on the description in uh, YouTube, so that's going to be you no know, trackling. So there, there are these subtleties. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's how do we help our clients really scale in the influencer identification that creators that will inevitably drive sales? How do we help them measure that, making sure of that so they can really optimize their program moving forward? Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. It's like, you know, when I talk to, you know, doing campaign, like managed campaigns and I always tell them, hey, listen, it comes down to you're going to like, like what, you know, I tried influencer marketing, it doesn't work. And they're like, well, you hired two people on Instagram. Like that's not influencer marketing. Like that's a piece of it. And that could be where a lot of people do influencer marketing, but there's so much more to it. The idea is, is to try multiple campaigns. You see who moves the needle on your Instagram for a certain type of persona, whether that be somebody that's already a fan, which makes total sense. And then you're going to go find more people that have that similar type audience and then be able to go after that. So it's really no different. Like I, I, I always use the analogy of like, of like, like PPC ads, like you're going to yes, try okay. 10 or 15 ads and you're going to kind of see what goes. It's the same thing with influencer marketing. You're going to try YouTube. You're going to try TikTok and try just different messaging, different things that are going on. And then once things start to take off, then you can start taking budget and put it into different things, but it's not a, you know, yeah. influencer marketing isn't an overnight success. Like it used to be this big thing that people, and unfortunately, I was one of the people that wrote an article that said, hey, for every dollar you spend, you can get, you know, $6.50. And people go, I want that. And I'm like, well, we all want that, right? But that's not I'm not saying that happened instantly. I'm not saying it didn't take a while to be able to get there. Yeah, but you, you have to figure out that that working funnel. So I want to get your opinion on for when we talk about, you know, social commerce and e-commerce brands. What e-commerce brands right now are absolutely crushing it with their marketing, their uh, influencer marketing initiatives? I know you guys work with quite a few of them. So you get to see the behind the scenes. Is there anybody yeah. you can share with us? <laughs> Um, sure, I'll, I'll share with you a couple. Um, I'll take some very different examples, right, to to exemplify the spread that you can take. Um, one a brand that uh, I've uh, looked into. So first of all, I'm going to preach to my own choir. I don't know if that translates very well, but uh, amongst <laughs> our client base, um, one brand that I think they're doing fantastic is uh, a company called Wild Fang, which is a uh, uh, you know a clothing company, and uh, I think. They're doing well in a number of capacities. Strategically, I think they do a very good job of sort of redefining what the Instagram look 
should be. And, uh, you know, like they, they're also clothing for people of uh, uh, all uh, ages, all sizes, all body types. And, uh, and um, this is a good message. And I think this is what the world needs. But on the more tactical sense, I think they execute that playbook beautifully in a way to identify great influencers that already uh, purchase from them, that already uh, follow them on Instagram, you know, and then offer the right incentives at the right time to to get some programs that generate lots of sales. So uh, I think a beautiful example here. Another one, I think to go the, the opposite scope in, in terms of size, I work with that French company called Pernod Ricard, which is the second largest uh, alcohol beverage uh, company in the world. And they have lots of very different brands, right? Absolute Vodka is one of them, uh, Malibu Rum or uh, Moon Champagne or Pierre Jouet. Like uh, I'm sure a lot of names that everybody's ever uh, drank in their lives. And, um, you know, there used to be uh, sort of in the old world, right? So they're slow to start influencer marketing and really pick up the pace, but I think they've done very well on the number of brands. And they have some hurdles that other industries don't because alcohol beverages is a regulated industry. So they have to <clears throat> uh, only work with influencers who are LDA compliant, legal drinking age compliant, which changes country to country. Uh, so it's a little bit of a nightmare, but you know that's one of the many things that we're able to help them out uh, from the technology uh, side of things to really figure that one out, right? And another one that we like, uh, Manscaped, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar, they are killing it on marketing. They're everywhere. We do a lot of you know, display and, uh, and, and offline, but uh, uh, it's one of our clients who had, I think, that product that's, you know, sort of, you know, makes you raise an eyebrow when you first think, like, what is this? And um, yeah, I think they're nailing it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. So I talk about like Malibu rum. So I actually had a company, it's a long story that I was going to be investing in. It's a coconut company. And that's what okay. they do, do a lot of, a lot of influencer events. And then they do this, a lot of that. And so what it is was a, coconut business and where they work directly with that. And so I'm very familiar with working with them and I can only imagine having to like figure out like every area. I mean, Instagram, you follow anybody, right? So it's like, but you have 18 here to drink and 21 here and then 16, like whatever it is, that's definitely uh, difficult to do. But I know that they've been jumping on and and being kind of like spearheading a lot of the influencer stuff in the alcohol industry at least. Yeah, hundred percent. And people lie, you know, like um, you can create an Instagram account. It's just a declarative day day of birth. So, you know, it's very easy to falsify. Uh, And so there's uh, definitely some guardrails to, to set up when you want to work in that space. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. So, I want to talk a little bit about like data-driven influencer marketing, right? Because I think that's mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about attribution and talking about being able to, you know, we need the data to, to back up what, what we think is going to happen, right? We say, I think this is a good influencer. We look at them, we look at their profile, their, you know, the demographics. We think it's good. We look at the past content, other brands they've worked with. We're like, hey, spider sense is tingling. Everything's looking good, right? And then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, but we really need the data to drive that, right? And so what is your like what's your definition of like a data-driven influencer marketing like what what is your like because obviously you guys are big in the data space 100 percent. so um i think a lot of people get the wrong idea about data-driven and they think all right uh, i've looked at their following following counts and their engagement rates and that's it you know i'm, I'm convinced and the truth is there's a lot more subtlety to that but it's not necessarily spoon-fed to you by the platforms that's you know some extra intelligence that you need to to crunch and so uh, looking at the right metrics, there's obviously the usual suspects, but some other metrics that we've put together, I think are, are really strong. Uh, I'll give you a couple. Uh, in your influencer selection processes, for example, the efficiency rate. So meaning compared to a baseline of organic posts, how well or how poorly do sponsored posts do, right? Do they do better? Do they do less good? And um, 
you can see actually, you know, influencer, two influencers who have a baseline of the same engagement rate. Some of them will consistently outperform their baseline for uh, sponsored posts because they put their art and soul into it, and you know, it's really great content and so on and so forth. Some of them they just do some half-assed posts and uh, that always tanks. And so that's a really interesting way to see how seriously these guys take uh, brand partnership and you know how likely they are to to really invest. And on the side of this very same question is, what's the saturation rate? You know. Do they do one in 12, one in seven, one in two posts that sponsored or that mentions a brand? Because we see a fatigue in the audience, right? And so we'll see inevitably uh, as the saturation increases, a decrease in um, in the performance as well. So these are the little things that are not necessarily obvious, are not necessarily given to you by the, the platforms and are super interesting uh, to look at. Then there's some more uh, tactical stuff, but... You know, when's the best time of day to to have that influence to publish content? When's the best day of the week? You know, um, and some other stuff that we are able to do because so many clients have reached out to so many influencers, we can sort of cross-reference and we can say, how likely is that influencer to respond to you as a brand? And how many hours on average will we, will we respond, right? And so really little things to... Uh, you know, to save your time. I know it's still a little bit of a manual process to a degree, even though we invest a lot in automation. And so, you know, how do we stretch your hour at the end of the day so you can make make more essentially uh, with influencers? I love that. I mean, I think it's funny if you guys are are showing that of like once again of a sponsored post versus a regular post and and the difference in that because I think that is because you always you know you hear oh when you do sponsored posts and influencers a long a while ago or even probably now where mm-hmm. oh it's going to kill the sizzle of what we got now we got to put hashtag ad oh my god it's going to crush everything but i think it's nice to know that like okay is it really because you know we somebody says that that doesn't mean it's that's for every influencer maybe it's just for you and your audience because whatever reason so like how do we take a look at that so i love that that information is even available because i think that is a huge metric that you wouldn't really necessarily think about because you're like well I just look at their content's doing well, but what happens if for their sponsor stuff, it goes through the roof, right? Or if it doesn't, and then I think the, the frequency as well. It's like, I always tell clients like, hey, if they're working with a hundred brands, like there's there's clients right now that I have that I'm, we're, you know, I'm doing, I do more consulting on the consulting side of things. But when we look at this and I'm like, you know, if, they're, if they have 30 brands that they're working for, like, where do you think you're at? Like, unless you're paying, unless you're top notch paying 20 grand a month, like, you know, you're paying a thousand bucks a month, like you're, you get mentioned in Instagram stories like once on a Tuesday morning, you know, so it's just not quite, you know, it doesn't have that leverage of like, and you can't expect it to be this big thing when they have this many brands and they've got people that are paying them a lot more money. So I think it comes down to the reality of that, but you don't really want to be with somebody that has 30 brands because, you know, as again, the audience is like, Oh God, more bars that I'm buying or, Oh, more drinks. Oh, you love this apparel company. Oh, you stay at this hotel. Like, okay. Start to kind of, it, it loses that, the, the nostalgia of what you were originally recommending. Now you're just kind of a pimp, you know, you're like brands are pimping you out. You're just like, Oh, here we go again. You know, I think it's important. I love that. I love the fact that you guys can, that you can kind of look at those metrics. So I think we touched, are there any other metrics that like brands should consider when talk about their influencer marketing campaigns? I mean, I think some of the stuff you did is outside of the box that most people wouldn't think of. Is there anything else you could recommend? Um, of course. Um, Still in the idea to really make more with less. Um, something we've started to do. Uh, we have a data team that does some machine learning stuff, including once you go through that selection process manually, once I accept to work with that creator and then say, oh, I'm not going to work with that creator for whatever reason, um, some patterns start to emerge. You know, oh, you know, you might, you may or may not realize that uh, you are forming this sort of. Uh, 
uh, patterns that you know still exist. And so once you've done that a bunch of times, we have algorithms to propose some lookalike influencers saying, hey, based on what you accepted and rejected, we think these 20 guys are great for you, you know, and we have a one-to-one basically relationship. So if you spend an hour to select 100 influencers, we'll give you another 100, right? And so that's yet another way to really feed some sort of an ongoing machine to provide uh, more better fit influencers to work with you for your program. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's hard to describe the exact uh, mechanics of it, but essentially that's another way in which data can really uh, stretch your marketing dollars. Yeah, I mean, really what you're saying is you're, there's tons of data. There's things that you're doing when you're taking action. There's information that goes there and you have machine learning that pulls it out and says, hey, we looked at all the stuff that you're doing and this is the best, what we think the best outcome or the person you should reach out to. So that I think for some people the better to understand that is like, it like blows their mind. Like, what do you mean? So the 20 things that I'm doing, yeah, now I'm telling you the, you know, the better result that you can have because of looking at your actions or the people that you're working with. So I love that. That's the future, right? We got good old AI and machine learning, and you know, yeah, it's like it's you know, we're we're doing some things today that you know now there could be better decisions that are made because of our actions. So, mm-hmm. so what would be? I mean, obviously, you guys being in the space for so long, what are some of the pillars to creating a successful marketing campaign? Like, if somebody's listening and says, "Hey, I want to do this," a obviously go get up flumps. That's that's a no brainer. But I mean, like, what are the pillars of this? Like, what what exactly would be that starting point? Um, so it's a combination of three things. Um, not necessarily in the right order, but uh, number one is scale. Um, I understand if you're a small brand, you don't necessarily have a very extensive budget and you don't necessarily have the ability to work with hundreds and hundreds of influencers, but it really compounds to, to a degree because um, even if you work with uh, 100 influencers who have 100,000 uh, followers, they're not going to be unique people, right? There's going to be a significant overlap in all these things, especially if you've done a really good job at selecting the influencers you want to work with. And actually can contribute very nicely to your ability to generate sales because, you know, if you're on Instagram and every two stories that you, you check, uh, you've had the same product coming back, you know, that's a repeat impression. That's actually a very strong uh, indicator of, uh, of sales. So um, scale is a nice way to really build and compound on your influencer marketing work and really uh, stretch your project. Even though you can do some very successful small smaller scale project as well, but as you noted, you know it's uh, you have to feed the beast to a degree, right? It, it, it takes a little bit of time to take off. I would say number one, number two, authenticity. You know, you you can't really expect someone who has never really talked about your line of product to be super convincing at talking about it. So it's it's nice to take a deeper dive into the creator. What kind of content? What kind of brands does he work with? If he's worked with any, and and so on. And uh, um, that, that definitely helps. And uh, the third, which is to a degree combination of the previous two, is um, what value proposition could you have, right? Because just reaching out to creators does not necessarily mean they are going to be, you know, gladly working with you. What do you bring to the table? What what do you have? And so, of course, it's better for you to be convincing if you have, you know, great connection with the creator from the get go. If he's your client, or you know, if uh, your product is a, a match made in heaven for for that creator specifically. But you know, still, what do you bring to the table? And here, determining the right uh, value proposition can be a bit more art than science sometimes. But as a brand, if you really want to to maximize your output, uh, try to find a value proposition for which the perceived value is higher than the monetary value. What I mean by that is if I give you $100, costs me $100, and it's a one-to-one relationship. If I give you a $100 product, maybe it costs me you know, $20 to uh, produce, 
and five dollars for shipping you know and you now have a one to four relationship and you know maybe that's how you can be you can afford to be a little bit more generous with with influencers and uh yeah have something that works and a good component to these that we see more and more is to incentivize the influencers on the success of a project so here's a coupon code 20% off for your followers and you get 10% commission for every sales you bring in or you get a split of $20 or whatever it is right but have that incentive so that the influencer who you know has chosen to work with you is accepted to work with you and not another brand um, because he's excited if he goes the extra mile, he can actually make extra money. I think that's very important to align everybody's interest in, in the same direction in that sense. Yeah, putting the carrot out there, right? I think that's important. I think also another thing I've seen too is, is you know, when you build these campaigns, I mean, because influencers get pitched a lot, right? Assuming they, they're driving they some kind of engagement and, you know, good good content, good community they built. And I think what's important is to, for, to also, I mean, I, I've been, I tell brands this, is like to build some kind of a, not an academy, but just something where you're helping educate the influencers on how to do things better. Because what I think a lot of brands don't realize is that influencers, they're not marketers, most of them, right? I mean, they came in, they built this community, but they don't have a background in marketing. Now, they might have an idea of what content resonates well with their audience because of they're looking at metrics. But like at the end of the day, it's like, what can you do to when you bring people on, you're giving them a commission, right? And, and we're, if you're fighting for 10% or 15% and they switch because 15%, then you don't, you're not, you don't have that deeper relationship. And that's where I think tapping into the people that are currently following you, you're not going to have to worry about that 5%, right? Because they're going to say, you know what? I love you guys. I've always loved you guys. I bought your products before you gave them to me for free. So there's that, that uh, the affinity, right? There's this, this, this brand loyalty that they have, which I think is extremely important. So I love that, that you guys once again tap into the people that, that are already halfway ready to get a tattoo, right? They're like, I'm ready to go get the name tattooed on them. And it's awesome. So I want to ask you this. So when we talk about influencer marketing and social commerce, what is that going to look like in 2022? Like what 2022 and beyond, what are you, what are you seeing? Yeah. So more commerce, you know, we, we mentioned Instagram checkout and so on. Uh, they're rolling out that feature in more countries they are going to experiment with live shopping features. So I think to a degree, Instagram is going to start to look like QVC to a degree, uh, which, which is fun, which has a component of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out because now the window of opportunity to make a sale is uh, closing. Uh, you know, it's not like that story will be here in, in six hours. No, it's, you, ha you have an hour to, to buy that product, you know? So uh, definitely more commerce, uh, number one. I want to say more long tail as well. Um, I think historically, brands have always reached out to the big guys, the big creators that everybody knows and everybody sees, um, which has created a lot of inflation on prices at the head tail of a distribution, which is not necessarily good because you know there's always that sort of inverted relationship between the size of a community and the engagement rate, if you look at it. So you spend more for less to a degree. And I, I think a lot of brands have started to go a longer tail, which I think is great. And now we're getting you know to... You know, we, we've all heard micro-influencers, nano-influencers. Uh, I've, I've even heard pico-influencers recently. So I think we're getting longer and longer tail. But case in point, you know, these are great. These people are not necessarily solicited by brands. Sometimes they're just happy to work for free or work for, you know, a 10% commission or a coupon code. And it could be a great way to scale your programs and to have very authentic relationship with these people as well. So definitely more long tail. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think more and more performance-based as well. Um, Pre-COVID, it was very rare and very hard to convince an influencer to say, hey, you know, would, would you mind a very small uh, you know, fixed fee and, uh, and some variables? I think a lot of uh, uh, creators had, especially those in the, you know, the hospitality industry, the travel industry, the fitness industry, you know, the, the spaces that uh, 
have suffered the most. A lot of them, you know, had to take a humble pill and say, all right, you know, I'll take what, what brands can offer. And I think a lot of it has, has stayed over. It hasn't been a, a back to normal for a lot of these guys. So I want to believe as creators get more and more familiar with their ability to drive performance and to measure it and say, okay, I can actually make more money, you know, doing this than just taking uh, $200 and, uh, and uh, you know, whatever happens. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more on that in the, in the years to come. And I agree with you. I think it comes down to one, one thing. If you're an influencer listening to this, one thing you need to do is you need to, you know, you wait for people to reach out to you and get in contact with you. One of the biggest things that I've seen, one of the, the things that we taught at UCLA and that I've taught at courses that I've created is like, what are you doing to make it so that so they, they have to work with you? So what I mean by that is like reporting, like going in and showing them, hey, listen, this is you're looking at me versus somebody else. And our cost might be similar, but let me show you the reporting that I do on the back end. Let me show you how I look at this and make this full attribution and explain to you the difference between myself and somebody else. Like the thing is, is if you're just looking at follower count and little stuff like that, like how do you, you know, when I was, I was speaking at an event, this was actually in New York. This was uh, maybe four years ago now. Um, it was funny. So there was some YouTube people that were up there and talk about this set. You know, there's some influencers and I, you know, raised my hand. I said, I got a question. Like, what kind of reporting do you guys do? And they're like, for what? And I was like, for your, your campaign, like you guys have a camp, like, and, and I wasn't, I didn't want to be a smart aleck, but I, in my mind, I was thinking, what do you mean for what? Like you, yeah. you're, you're doing something like, and yeah. so that was now, mind you, a lot has changed. But the thing is at the end of the day, if you want to, you want to outdo the next influencer next to you, figure out how you put that together. Like that reporting mm -hmm. them, you know, say, Hey, listen, this is what I do. And this is how we put these things together. And the reason we should do more than one campaign, we should do seven campaigns. And the reason why that is is because of this and this is that whole thing that we're going to build for you and then a brand goes wow okay that makes sense to me right because what most brands yeah. do is they say i hired one influencer i spent 10 grand and nothing happened it's like well that was nine years ago that that worked when you just did yeah. one post right it's like now it's a freebie you talk about the long tail right it's going to take a lot more time it takes more time and you just have to be willing to invest that into that and i also love the fact you talked about younger influencers i mean you want to talk about brand affinity you know, if you help an influencer that was at, you know, 500 and you help train them up with your product and other products and just give them that education, they're going to be with you forever. I saw a lot of yeah. fitness brands do that. A lot of supplement brands that brought mm -hmm. these influencers that had a look and said, hey, I'm going to help build you up and built them up. And they're never going to leave because they're yeah. like, hey, you helped me when I was nothing. Right. So I love that. I think that's once again, I think you know, the social commerce side of things and selling more socially is going to be the way. So now we we jump into, man, this was um, I knew this was going to be good. And I had a feeling that you were going to be on it. And, and you, once again, you, you came and you, you slayed the interview, man. I appreciate that. I, I think, you know, you can tell that you, you've been in the space for a long time. And I love it when I talk with somebody that's been in the space for a long time, because then we have these, these, I call them adult conversations, right? Not that the people mm -hmm. listening aren't adults, but I'm just saying it's like these, these grown up conversations about influencer marketing, because a lot has changed. But so the, Thanks. this is what we, we call the fun section. So we, once okay. again, I would say this, I know the, I feel like we had a little bit of fun earlier where we're sneaking mm -hmm. up on fun for sure. Um, what would you, what would 21 year old, what would you tell 21 year old Vivian right now? Like if you could, you said, Hey, listen, man, this is, this is Vivian 2.0. This is your, you know, this is the future. I, I, you know, you're going back in the future, you're getting your DeLorean, you go out, you're talking to him and you said, Hey man, I just want to stop you on the streets. And there's a few things I want to tell you. What would you tell him? I love the question. And uh, honestly, I don't think I will tell all that much. Meaning, um, if I look back at my life, I think figuring things out on my own was most of the fun, right? And uh, you know, it's about the journey and the destination kind of uh, kind of narrative. But you know, I probably will tell myself to uh, enjoy the trip and uh, 
and uh, you know, and maybe buy some Amazon stock. But, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, case in point, yeah, uh, I, I think I, I wouldn't spoil uh, you know the road ahead too much. Gotcha. No, I think that makes sense. I, I would probably chip in on Bitcoin, probably back then too. I mean, when it, yeah. you know, there's there's some things that I think we could do a little more intelligently <laughs> than what we currently did. I I would say that. Um, Certainly. And, and then also, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's not. There's some things we could invest in. I think would make sense. Um, and then also, I saw in your Twitter bio, you said that you're a, a beer brewer, man. You you beer you like to brew the beer, huh? So, well, uh, I, I think it's a little bit of an overstatement, but I have a home beer brewing kit that uh, I've used. I'm not very good at it. I think I like the skill as much as I like the time, but I really enjoy the process. You know, another thing it's about the journey, not the destination. I can't yeah. really say proudly that any of my beer was any good, but, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, in the... In a few years, where I have a little bit more time and uh, you know I have some ability to focus my time elsewhere, I would enjoy, I don't know, creating a brewery or something like that. maybe you know a D two C brand for beer, uh, for yeah. millennials, you know, some something exciting. Yeah, you you can tell nobody can tell this on the podcast right now, but I have a red beard, which means I'm Irish. So anytime we have a chance to talk about beer, I'm like, well, I, I mean, I, I'll move to France. Like I don't 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 tempt me. We'll come out there and brew some beer and have some fun. Um, so I'm another question. Was a good time. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much right. Like. Um, so another thing, so I got another question for you. So if you were going to have dinner, I'm, I'm always intrigued by these answers because it kind of, it, it kind of tells me like the foundation of somebody, like what they, what they, what they enjoy in life. And so if, if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive, who would they be and why? Like who would be, who would be at your table? Yeah. So I love this question as well. Um, tying back with a little, with the beginning of the interview, um, you know, we talked about Lyon, we talked about music and obviously to, uh, about entrepreneurship. So I think I would take one of each for Lyon. I would take, um, uh, do you know the book, uh, the little prince? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the best selling books of all time, the author yeah. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry happens to be a native of Lyon, my, my beautiful hometown. So I definitely, he was a fantastic guy. He was an ace pilot in the second world war and prior. He was obviously an author. He was an inventor. He had like 20 patterns for machinery for the aviation. So uh, I, I think he would, you know, a fantastic guy to have around the table. That's for sure. Um, entrepreneurship. I think I would go for Tony Chier, uh, the founder of Zappos. Um, I think he, you know, he wrote a book called um, uh, "Delivering Happiness," which uh, yeah. I read at the very beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. And I think he had well, that's one of the books that had the largest impact on the, you know, my view of things. Uh, probably I was very impressionable at the time, but uh, still, I really enjoyed the book. And uh, I know, of course, he was very eccentric, and uh, and he passed away recently. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have seen, but uh, by all accounts, he was uh, a guy larger than life, and uh, would have loved to have him around the table. And uh, for music, uh, I'm not going to go for a guitar player, but for a piano player. My probably all-time favorite musician at the moment is um, an Armenian guy called Tigran Amasyan, who's a prodigy piano player, uh, like a fantastic player, and who composes music, which is a blend of his, you know, like uh, ethnic um, Armenian music, jazz, and to a degree, you know, metal music. And there's uh, it's incredible rhythms, it's incredible harmonies, and uh, yeah, I, I love everything he does. So I think that would be a pretty unique combination of uh, three very different people around the table. I love it. I love it. That's why I was excited with that question because I knew it was going to involve some music. I knew we we're going to be doing that, and I knew there would be obviously entrepreneur on the side of that, and then obviously that that makes total sense. So. Man, I'd like to be at your table too. Maybe we'll maybe we'll figure that out once we get well, the table together time. and we start bringing of people course. back from the dead and stuff like that yeah. and do all the interesting stuff in the future. Um, well, cool. So, lastly, man, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, learn more about Upfluence, where can they get some information? 
So um, LinkedIn, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty active there. Uh, my email is very easy to find. So uh, if you want to drop me a line, I'm, I'm always happy. Um, I'm pretty active on Quora as well. So uh, if you guys have a question uh, that you think I could answer, fire away. And um, yeah, I'd say it's free. That's awesome, man. Hey, Vivian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Like I said, man, this was an awesome conversation. You guys have been paving the way. I'm excited to know what you guys are, more stuff you guys are doing in regards to social commerce. Excited about seeing and hearing more about that. If you need help in creating a kick-ass influencer marketing campaign, you can reach out to our team. Our marketing specialists will help you craft a successful strategy that can generate more traffic and revenue. For more information, check out shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. Next week, we'll talk to another marketing leader. Stay tuned for expert tips on various marketing and business growth-related topics. 